You know, guys, when you get to be our age, finding the motivation to get back in shape can be hard. It's just plain tough to find a routine and to stick with it. Good news. FitBod is a fitness app that is anything but routine. It tailors your workouts to fit your life, your goals, your gear, and even your schedule, so you can avoid burnout. And FitBod helps keep up your momentum by mixing in different exercises, reps, supersets, and circuits. Best yet, FitBod has over 1,000 demonstration videos, so you can learn the right way to do each exercise. It's time to ditch the boring routines and kickstart your fitness journey. Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at fitbod.me slash Zabe. That's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash Zabe. Today on the ZabeCast, this might surprise you, but I was a sneaky little shithead at times when I was a kid. Charge joins me and we come clean on our high school hijinks, like the time he had a friend write his mom's excuse notes for two years. Remember the bad idea that was Google Glass? Well, apparently Apple is saying, hold our beer. All that plus Rona City, baby, at the end. Your daily Kickstarter of Uncensored Me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. Thank you for joining me. Before we get to charge, let's start with the pizza. I, again, don't mind the pizza story about Jordan thinking he got food poisoning from a suspicious pizza the night before game six uh, or whatever game it was in the NBA Finals. I don't mind that story. It's a good story. I don't buy it, though. Now the former assistant manager at a Utah pizza hut says he didn't poison MJ during the N98 finals. He said he was the only guy there on duty at the time. He made and delivered the large, thin crust pepperoni himself. He was a huge Chicago Bulls fan, named his son after MJ, had money on the Bulls as well. Said the poisoning story is, quote, a bunch of crap. I don't know who he might be lying now too. He might have never worked at a pizza hut. Who knows? It's a good story. People as with all sports stories, you just have to go, well, that's interesting and take it for what it's worth. Big Ben got a haircut and a shave outside Pittsburgh. And of course the governor, Tom Wolf of Pennsylvania expressed his concern saying, I'm concerned anytime somebody takes a risk like that, that there's a very real chance that this virus could ravage your life. Are you kidding me? These governors are out of control, especially this clown. You would think with all he's got to deal with and with his own health commissioner and what he did with nursing homes, He would say, when somebody said, hey, uh, Big Ben apparently got a haircut against your violations or against your regulations, I would think the governor would say, well, I can't control that next question. Instead, he takes the time to grandstand. It's dumb because, A, it makes him look small and petty and like a tyrant, and B, it's uh, an unpopular take in the western part of the state. Of course, he's an Eagle fan. I think he's been seen with an Eagles hat on before, so go figure on that front. But that was stupid. And then, have you seen the health secretary of Belgium? Now, I've seen the health secretary in Pennsylvania, Dr. Levine, I think. And she used to be a he and okay, but wow, all right. Interesting. I've seen this Barbara Ferrer, the health director of Los Angeles, And you got to be careful because there are Photoshop pictures of her looking chalky white like she is literally a ghost or an extra out of a movie. Those are Photoshops. Now, she is unbelievably skinny and has this weird, you know, gray hair that just is sort of curly. She has also apparently been listed as an MD. She is not an actual doctor. She has a doctorate in public health. And I don't mind her being the health director. I don't mind her making a fat 
And hell, I don't live in LA, so I guess I don't mind anything that she's doing. Sucks if you live in LA. But to me, like the power that these mediocre people have is insane. You want to be the public health director and you don't have to really do much and you just go give a bunch of lectures and you nip around the edges of stuff. That's fine. But then when it comes to we're shutting the city down until July, you look at her picture and you go, oh, fuck. No, really? This person? And then have you seen the health secretary of Belgium? Oh, my God. Supposedly, we're not into body shaming these days, although Nancy Pelosi did call Trump morbidly obese, which, by the way, is factually correct. It doesn't take much to be morbidly obese. I'm 235 pounds, and I probably should be 185 at six foot tall. I think I qualify as being morbidly obese, but people would see me like, oh, no, you're not bad. Uh, This woman, though, is morbidly obese, and she is huge to the point where people were doing Photoshop memes of her moving her mouth and inserting Chris Farley jokes to the point where I wanted to to like it on my timeline just as a bookmark to sort of save it. But then I'm like, oh boy, you know how sensitive people are. They're going to be like, how dare you do that? And uh, she could be a wonderful person. She could be very qualified. Belgium could be doing great for all I know. But holy crap, you see that? And you're like, wow. And then there's this, should PGA Tour players be able to wear shorts in competition? I am of the firm belief of hell to the naw, naw. No. I like my tour players wearing pants. It makes them look like, wait for it, professionals. Oh, but it's a lot cooler. What does it matter? They look like regular guys. I don't want them to look like regular guys. Rory and DJ, they look like regular guys who are just really, really good at golf. They look like that, you know, those asshole young guys who are good at your club and they can shoot even par whenever they want. You don't like them. I don't want my pros looking like that. If they're out competing in public, I want them wearing pants. The old pants of yesteryear used to be brutal in the summer months. Modern pants with the microfiber and the light fabrics, they're fine. When you're competing, wear pants. If you're home at your home club, wear shorts. That's where I stand, and I cannot be swayed. Cannot be swayed, will not be swayed. But unfortunately, it looks like we're headed towards the day in which they allow pants, or allow shorts, I should say, on the PGA Tour. All right, it is church time. This is where the DJ talks. Don't say anything. Okay. Good day, welcome to our single. I'm Bob McKenzie, and this is Hey, good day, Hoser. Beauty, yeah, I like that. Okay. How you doing, Hoser? Charge! Charge! Come on! You gotta be hearing me right now, Charge. Come on. I. Breaking up, but I got you. All right, here we go. Take off. You got me now, brother. I do. Okay. Hello. Hello. A little bit rough there, but here we are. Hi, Church. Hi. I missed you on Sunday. Now, I assume you have you have an excused absence. Yeah, yeah, I've got a note. I got a note from my podcast <laughs> Did- teacher. It's weird because, look, I can give myself days off from the podcast whenever I want. Yeah. But you get into that routine and you feel like, Ah, fuck, I got 30 minutes. Let me knock one out for the guys, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think they've probably come to expect near daily um, podcasting from you. If they don't get it, they don't, you know, they feel a little bit gypped on that. Now, did you ever, as a kid, forge your parents' uh, sick notes so you could skip? (laughs) I don't recall but it would not have been out of the ethical footprint of how I operated as a kid. I was a very unethical, sneaky-ass kid. <laughs> and I'll give you a couple of examples, all right? All right and good. then and then yeah. you can come clean if you, too, did some sneaky-ass, unethical things as a kid. All right? All right, ready. Yes. Uh, once upon a time, we were at... <laughs> We were at this uh, buffet as a family out of town at our cousin's house in South Carolina. 
And we're in line at the buffet, and we get to the you know woman at the front, and she asks, you know, she's like, "It's so and so for adults, and so this much for kids under thirteen or whatever." Yeah. And I chimed in with, "Well, I'm 12," and my dad was like, "Wait, what? I hold on a second, Stephen. What do you you know? Like, I had actually, <laughs> I deked my own dad." <laughs> Because I, I I knew that I could just get away with one age lower. I was like, fuck these people. Charge yeah. it extra. Like, they don't know how old I am. I don't have a driver's license. Give me the discount. <laughs> and so my dad was like, oh, okay. And, of course, the biggest uh, the biggest cheating thing I ever did was uh, sophomore year in high school, Mr. Telusty's chemistry class. Mm-hmm. Mr. Telusty, who stunk like cigarettes, uh, looked like uh, Yoda. Had a had had one finger burned off by some you know chemistry wow. accident. Well, not totally, but it was like a stub finger that you couldn't stop looking at. No, that's totally badass. I mean, it's like they always say: never trust a carpenter who's got ten fingers. Same thing. Never, you can't trust a chemistry teacher who's got all their all their fingers. Yeah, means if he you hadn't burned one off. You've done. You've yeah. done your chemistry. Right, means he has not anything exactly. So uh, I. Uh... So in, in this chemistry class, which I was struggling with big time, because chemistry is hard, frankly, if you ask me, <laughs> right. it's complicated. Right. And yeah. uh, and I had a friend, a buddy at my table who served as the TA, the teaching assistant for the same teacher in the afternoon. And right. I don't know why that was in high school. Some weird thing. He would have the tests. He had mm. the test. The, the test for fifth period was the same as the test for second period. And so we would get the tests ahead of time. Wow. And but here's the thing. Even though we had the tests, we had to <laughs> even though we had the test uh, charge, we had to decamp in a group of 3 of us to someone's house the night before and try to noodle out the answers. Cuz you know, wow. chemistry answers are not A B C D. No, you got to spell it all out. You got you got to write Explain out all the it all. equations and everything. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. It let me tell you, that was so laborious. Uh, that you know the just to do that, and through the first semester, I believe I was hanging in at like a B minus, mm-hmm. and I went to my parents and I said, "I need to transfer out of this class," and they're like, "Why?" and I go, "I don't think I'm learning anything," and they're like, "Well, your grades are not bad," and I said, "Yeah, yeah. but I just don't feel like I'm grasping the material." I didn't tell my mom and dad. Hey, right. guess what? Of course fucking yeah. cheating my face off here and I'm still yeah. barely hanging it's on still, to the B minus. Right. I'm still only right. a B minus. <laughs> I'm getting the test in advance yeah. a B minus. <laughs> yeah. So so I definitely did that. And then uh and then one time and then later in high school, junior year, I was mm-hmm. in band I was a band nerd and I played percussion. I didn't know that. Okay. And the band director, Mr. Fraker, was his name, Jeffrey Fraker. Did he have all his fingers? Uh, yeah, but he had. He was like a, a little Hitler without the mustache. Ooh. Very intense, very wound up guy. He would drill us as a band on like one or two songs per quarter, right? Mm-hmm. And he'd get it really tight. Like some days in band class, we'd go over eight bars of music max. And just do it over and 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 over. Yes. And and it turned out the reason he only gave, he only taught us like two or maybe three songs a quarter, because that's what the music festivals called for. So then we'd take our three songs on the road to some band competition, right? right we right, fucking yeah. win first place, yeah, and because you're only playing three songs all quarter, right? And so you know Jeffrey Fraker looked like the greatest band director in the world, but he yeah. was a it was a joyless drill sergeant and. Um, I remember, you know, one of the semesters I had to pass my scales for the xylophone or the marimba, which was, you know, all these different yeah. scales, A minus, B minus, whatever. and it was bullshit because we never played scales. And I was right. a drummer. I didn't understand A flat, B minus, you know, all the other stuff. Yeah, why, why would you? So I, I, flunked, I flunked my scales. And so one report card or one report period – he threw an F on my report card. Wow. Wow. The next day, because I was in two, two band classes, actually. I was in uh, concert band and jazz band. The next day 
in jazz band, I walked in, class starts to begin, I begin to calmly disassemble my drum set. Because you had to, wow. I, I brought in my own drum set, you know, to be oh. part of this band. It was not, okay. you know, it was right. not school owned. It was mine. Okay. All right. Calmly, don't say a word, start disassembling it. He looks at me, gives me the stink eye. He doesn't say anything, though. Mm-hmm. He lets me disassemble the whole set. I take it out of the class piece by piece and put it in my car. And I'm like, that's it. I'm out of this that's class. It. Never. Yeah. Because I'm like, I'm a fucking junior and I'm going to, you know, go apply to college. I don't need a goddamn F on my report You're card. Weighing, that's right. Weighing down your – now, was this was this a final – was this like on the report card? Is this like a midterm or something? You could still you could still drop the class and not get the F. Uh, I don't think it was my final grade, but it was it was a big – it was a big grade, and it, I had had enough, and I was like, this is yeah. bullshit. So yeah. after class, I guess feeling my oats, I sort of came across Fraker in the hallway, not face-to-face – but I yelled out, Fraker's a dick. Wow. Whoa. That's when he swung into action. Oh, I bet. He swung into action and took marched me down to the principal's office, got me in trouble. I got in-school suspension for two days mm. for saying that. And did it was your, did your parents even know? My parents my parents my parents understood when I explained it all to them why I was done and why I'm like fuck this, right? And I yeah. and they they backed me. My dad even tried to uh you know lobby with the principal. Well, you know, Dick could have meant private eye, you know, it's not yeah. necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so flimsy. <laughs> right. But I think my parents at that point had seen that I when I get my mind made up and when I plant my foot, it's like it's done. You know, one day growing up, and I'm sorry I'm monopolizing our conversation. I'm going to shut up here and let you go in a second. Uh, but one time, you know, it, I used to play tennis at this tennis and swim club we belonged to. It's not a fancy country yeah. club. It was a swimming pool that had mm-hmm. tennis courts and they had, they had a little tennis ladder and. My parents signed me up for tennis lessons, nice indoor tennis lessons during the winter. My mom would drive me all the way down, you know, pretty far away near Arlington, Virginia to take my tennis lessons. And I was really into it as a kid that, you know, liked sports. One day, I don't know what it was. I didn't like one of the other little assholes that was on the tennis team. And I probably couldn't beat him. So that was what made me frustrated. (laughs) Probably. The next day I come home, I'm like, mom, I'm done with tennis. And she's like, what? what? <laughs> we paid for all these lessons. I've been driving down. Right. I'm like, no, right. we're done. And that was it. And I put my foot down. And so I think my parents understood, you know, when little Steven gets his spine up and he puts his foot down, there's nothing you can do. So that was the ethical envelope of my behavior as a as a young kid. What about you, Charge? Anything I've, to fess up to? Oh yeah. I've got I've got a few blemishes. So junior year I get my first girlfriend. And so you know, as as everybody who's ever had What's a her name? Young, uh her name was Wendy. Hey Wendy. And yep, Wendy. And Wendy, um and everybody who's who's had young love knows just trying to find time to be alone is hard, right? You know, she's got her house filled with your family. I got my house filled with my family. You know, where do you go to be alone? Basement, well, bedroom, well, car, but you were old enough to drive or no? Uh, yes, she, yes, she okay. had ready access to a car. I had a license, but I did not, I only had the parents' vehicle. Yep. So I, I was rarely driving. Bedroom, basement, car, friend's house, <clears throat> picnic blanket also, at a park. Those, and school dance was like the only time you could feel up your high school girlfriend. We figured out skipping school gave us like six hours of uninterrupted time together. So we would periodically, maybe once a month, um, we would take days off together and um, (laughs) we would camp out at each other's house. Parents didn't know. Right. So she would take off in her car like she was going to school. I would go out to the bus stop where she would come by, pick me up, and then we'd chill out for, you know, an hour or something and then come back to my house or her house. And we got the place to ourselves while the parents are at work, siblings are at school, and we got the house to ourselves for like six hours. Naughtiness ensues. But the problem is then you have to have the written letter, which brings us back to how this whole thing started. Right. 
got to have the written permission slip or the letter that's, you know, my kid was sick or whatever. I've got this other girlfriend, not girlfriend, but friend who's a girl named Michelle. Michelle has impeccable adult style handwriting. So I convince her to write the first time that we do this. I convince her to be my forger (laughs) and to forge to forge my uh, my Paul was sick with the flu. He's feeling better, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I turn this in and my we have to turn you have to turn in your your you have homeroom at our school. You had homeroom right off the bat for 10 minutes at the beginning of the day. You have homeroom homeroom teacher. He gets the note. Homeroom teachers looks at the note and he goes, my God, your mother has impeccable handwriting. This is amazing. <laughs> so now, Zabe, I'm in a total bind because <laughs> now he's expecting Michelle to write every note that I get going forward because he remembers her handwriting. Oh, so now my whether <laughs> for two years, whether I was legitimately sick or not, if I had a permission slip to be signed or anything, it all had to go through Michelle. Couldn't go through my mom anymore. I had to go through because I had to maintain. Did, did you the tell? Did you tell Michelle your quandary? Oh yeah, she knew. Was she sympathetic yeah. to it, or was she like, Jesus oh, yeah. Christ, I can't do all this? She was complicit in the whole uh, thing. I'm happy to say, yes. That's and great. so she for two years she wrote every one of my permission slips. So uh, there was that. There was. Uh, so as, wait. As, so yeah. wait. Did you ever bang her? Oh, come on, Zabe. What are you going to say? Come on, Zabe. Exactly. No. What do you think we were doing for did six you, hours? Did, did, no, but you're. But did you ever get with the girl that was writing your notes, not your girlfriend? Um, oddly enough, yes. Ah! And, <laughs> later on, yes. And, did she and present then, it like, hey, listen, now that you're not dating so-and-so, Wendy, right? Wendy was Wendy, your girlfriend. Wendy, that's right. And yep. Melissa, the, Michelle was the... the Yes. At some point, Michelle might have. Did you dump Wendy while you still had Michelle writing your notes? Yes. Okay. So, so let me guess. Michelle's like, eh, now that you're uh, not dating Wendy, I have been writing notes for you now for a year and a half. About <laughs> a little something, something there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So, it, it just as a postmortem to the Michelle story, she could and, she could have blackmailed you like Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction. I'm not going to be ignored, Paul. Oh, I know. I'm not did, just going to write your notes, Paul. Yes. Now, I did. There was another girl who would send Wendy anonymous hate mail because she wanted she wanted me to break up with she she wanted to drive us apart. So she would send Wendy, but I figured out who it was this gymnast and she wanted it. She wanted to break, she wanted to break us up and she sent anonymous hate mail to Wendy. But I ultimately was just like that psycho. And so it never worked. And had she just really just said, Hey, I'd really like to date you. How about hanging it up with Wendy? I probably would have done it, but she went psycho and I never did that. But here's the postmortem with Michelle, the note writer, the calligrapher. So we, we fooled around in high school, but then didn't see her for like 10 years. And then, you know, at some point ran into her 10 years later. So I'm, you know, I'm like, I don't know, 26 or something or whatever. And she had, and she had had a baby and was pinning the birth on the wrong guy intentionally. And she tells me this, and I'm like, who does that? This is horrible. And then she wants to, uh, she wants to hook up with me. She wants to, you know, like, hey, it's old times. Let's hook up. We had a good thing going. I'm like, I can't do that. I can't hook up with you. You just pinned your pregnancy on the wrong father. <laughs> Knowingly, I can't hook up with you. Wow. That's dangerous that. right there. That is dangerous. One of the few times that my brain overrode any other part of my body. So, I, so anyway, that's the that's the whole story with Michelle. I haven't seen her since that okay. since that particular episode. Number two, senior year, I get mono for six weeks. Oh boy! And I'm just crushed during these six weeks. And it's the the very start of a new term at school. And I had this typing class. And by the time six weeks are over and I get back to school, I'm now way behind the class on typing. So I decide, for whatever reason, I'm just not going to go and see what happens. So this charade continues until there's like a week left in, in the class, in the, in the, this is the year. We're, we're heading into summer vacation. And I've never gone to typing. They've never said anything. Oh I've been God. going to all my other classes. I just hit study hall during the typing class. 
And finally, I get called into the office and they're like, what the hell gives with typing? Why haven't you shown up? I was like, oh, I was so far behind. And, you know, I just didn't feel like I could catch up. (laughs) And they said, here's the deal. We don't want to not graduate you for this. If you just show up for the rest of the classes, which at that point, again, there's like a week or 10 days left, we will give you a pass grade on it. No way. I was like, done. (laughs) So I took a pass grade in typing after not going for an entire semester. That's classic. (laughs) You're like, it just got more and more stacked up. And then I said, I can't catch up. I I can't catch up. I have had dreams, adult dreams in the last 10 years of being back in college at some class at which I fall behind quickly, you know, like a football mm-hmm. game where you're down yeah. 14 nothing right away. Hopelessness sets in, and then you are really in deep, and then you try to feebly catch up, and you go to a class or two, and you start reading the material, and then you feel just even more awful and overwhelmed. Like, it's yeah. a weird thing to be stuck as a kernel in your brain, that sort of insecurity that I'm sure happened a few times to me in college, if I recall. Oh yeah. To all of us, right? Yeah. It's, you know, you know, we, we've all had those moments and it's here. You are now a grown man, grown ass man, podcaster that doesn't need anything. You know, you don't need any validation for your education <laughs> or anything else. Yet There it is. There it is. Popping through your subconscious in the middle of the night at two in the morning. All right. Good talk. We haven't even hit on any sports yet. So let me get to that. I don't think I've asked you at all about the Michael Jordan documentary. You're known as a football guy, but you do like sports, all sports, Mm -hmm. probably some more than others. What are your thoughts on the Jordan documentary? Have we talked about it? And where do you stand Mm -hmm. on vintage NBA from the 90s? So um, keep in mind, in the Jordan era, we didn't have a team in Minnesota. Right. So That affects you big time. It does, big time. So when when I was at college... I had a Jordan poster on the wall. That was the only athlete I had on my wall was a Michael Jordan poster. And it was the tongue out slam dunk bit. Right. And, right. you know, if, if I showed you the poster, if you, you could see the poster, you'd be like, yeah, I've seen that a million times. And um, and so he was a mythical figure for me then. And one of the few I wouldn't I don't like the word hero, but one of the few sports icons that I, I really loved at the time. And. Um, so I was a, I was a big fan then, and what what of the many things you could talk about with this? Uh, and by the way, I haven't seen the, the most recent two, so they're DVR. That's waiting fine. for me. So I'm through. I'm through. Uh, I'm through eight or whatever. Yeah. Um, the thing that struck me the most, Abe, is I had forgotten just how crazy good he was. I know. You, know, you you can tell yourself, you know, you know, in 30 years of really not watching much of any vintage Jordan yet forget that he was on a whole different level from anybody before him or anybody after him to the point that you get inured to the highlights that are in this show. And it's just, he's making these stunning plays after stunning plays after stunning plays. And they're all in the same damn game. And you're like, you know what? It almost becomes normal. And you have to step back and go, I don't ever see anybody doing that now. I don't see LeBron doing that or Kobe or anybody else doing what he's doing. He really is. All the pedestalization is completely earned for Michael Jordan. And it's easy to sort of forgotten that with time and get caught up in ludicrous arguments about like whether LeBron James is even in a conversation with Michael Jordan. You know, uh, you know, there's a sort of a a take that is germinating right now. And I think probably the biggest LeBron stand on the planet, Nick Wright of FS1 has put it out there. And that is essentially why did Jordan finally, after all these years, green light this project? that was sitting there dormant, waiting, just Mm -hmm. waiting for the, okay, let's do this. And the theory is because Jordan wanted to head off LeBron as he approached the summit of Mount Goat, the greatest of all time. What do you think of that take? That's not a terrible take. There's a ton of of terrible LeBron Jordan takes. That one actually tickles my brain a bit. It does because you – we know that Jordan thrives on any suggestion right. that he's not the best player on the court or the best player in basketball or whatever. He thrives on that shit. He absolutely could have done that, Dave. Now, now, keep in mind, he had to green light this 
a year ago, probably, right? I mean, how long is this thing? You know, they've had the footage for whatever, 20 years. Yeah. How how long have they had? How long have they been working to get this documentary ready years, so it could air, air in, in May? Yeah, right? that's, 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 that's a possible, you know, shoot that down. But still, it, I, I think there's a lot to Jordan that's like, all right, listen here. I went through a lot of shit. I dealt with a lot of shit. From the ownership to the GM to guys getting injured, Scottie Pippen having a fucking migraine, guys coming and going, bing, bang, boom, and the whole 10-part series shows all the stuff he went through. I went through my dad being fucking murdered, right, yeah. in the middle yeah. of my career. So I think it's a, it's something that is a good reminder. I, I liken LeBron to Jordan like this. You know, Jordan is this rare gem that has a unique cut to it and has a lot of different interesting colors and facets when you look into it, when the light hits it just a certain way. It's a one-of-one, amazing, jaw-dropping gem. LeBron is a big-ass, perfect diamond. Just the biggest, most perfectly cut, crystal-clear diamond ever. And you go, wow. They're both amazing, but the Jordan one as a unique athletic gem catches my eye far more than LeBron. I totally agree. You know, Jordan has a skill set that is exactly one thing deep in this world, and that's play basketball. And, you know, LeBron, I just feel like he is he's he, you know, he's a freaking actor and he's actually a pretty good one. And LeBron, it just feels like he's really, really hmm. good at a lot of things. Jordan's we're- got this one thing, right? Well, you know, he yeah, was- and he's a degenerate gambler and a degenerate golfer, but it's not like Jordan hasn't done well with his Jumpman brand. Of course, some would say, well, where's the creativity in that? You're just having Falk and his guys say, right. pay me this much money, Correct. pay me this yeah, much he money. Have anything, he doesn't have anything to do with it. Right. You know, how, how, well is, how well has he run the Charlotte Hornets? Not well. But, not well. But, I mean, I just, but running yeah. running a team is hard. Let's be honest. It you know, is. Winning is hard. Every team wants to do it and tries to do it. LeBron, I'll give him credit. LeBron has b- been brilliant at leveraging his fame and marketability off mm-hmm. the court and has made huge scores with things like beats and even his yeah. pretentious as fuck projects like the barbershop. Yeah. I give him credit. It's a successful vehicle for him. I don't care it for is. it personally, but he he's leveraged that very well. So I'd give LeBron the advantage off the court. Yeah, I, I, I would too. I just think, I think of when I think of other things that Jordan is great at, it's only one. It's just the basketball, and he was the best ever. Right, and but, just didn't you know the greatness didn't prevail, didn't was was not able to migrate to anything else in his life. I don't think. But if you were to get to spend a day driving Jordan or LeBron around, hanging with them all day, going out at night to dinner in the club, who would you choose? I think Jordan is just more fun. Don't you I think agree. Jordan's just one hundred percent? Because Jordan, yeah. you would think, would treat you. He would treat you more decently than Le- than LeBron. He might tease you and give you shit For like sure. he did Jerry Krause. But that's yeah. a sign of hey, he's treating you like a peer. He's going to fuck with you. He's going to give you shit. LeBron would just treat you like you know a chauffeur. He'd be like, yeah, I, get, get your chauffeur's right. hat on, dummy. He, if, if nothing else, if I show up with a deck of cards, it's game on with Michael, right? He doesn't even have to know who I am, care anything about me. But if I got a deck of cards in front of me and I got a stack of hundreds, we, you know, we're going to spend the next two hours together. Yeah. How about the mini crime wave in the NFL that occurred last week? I got an email from a guy who is a high end sort of not, not a pit boss, but like a hospitality guy at a local casino here in the DMV area. Big Mm -hmm. one. Yeah, I call him the felt father to maintain his <laughs> anonymity. anonymity. Okay, I like it. That's good. He just emailed me the following. He said, this is what happens when the NFL facilities and casinos are both closed at the same time. <laughs> One or the other, we can survive. Both? No way. He said, NFL players getting arrested. No shock. Quentin Dunbar was a regular and a regular asshole. He wow. could not handle losing. Three NFL players arrested all because they don't have a legitimate casino to go gamble in. You do the math. Sign the felt father. Now, Quentin Dunbar's 
Now, this thing with Quentin Dunbar, I, former not, is he former or former Redskin? He's a Seahawk now. Yeah, we Seahawk he, now, right? he wanted, and He was good too. He, well, he was good. He's an interesting story. He came in to the team as a wideout from Florida State. Oh, I didn't and they, remember that. Okay. And Jay Gruden, the one good thing that that dumbass Jay Gruden did was he flipped him to corner, and he okay. he really came on. He was one of our best corners. He's better than Josh Norman the last two years, arguably. Oh, not close. Not right. close. But but he wanted he know he wanted to get paid, and this was like one year away from getting paid. And so he's like, I want to get paid. Yeah. I want to get paid. And Ron Rivera's like, Fuck it, we gotta we gotta get rid of him. And they trade him for a fifth, which we all thought was way too light. Yeah, well, it is. Turns too light. out, <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. well, yeah. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> if these charges stick, now his attorney is saying this is bullshit. We've got witnesses who claim that he didn't rob anybody. Let me ask everyone a question out there. You're at a party that's got two NFL players there, and they pull pieces in the middle of it and rob a guys, a bunch of guys in their jewelry. Do you think you'd say, oh, yeah, it was definitely those two NFL players. I'm ready to testify. When's the court date? <laughs> or do you think or, or do you think if you come out and sign a sworn affidavit and submit it to the police, oh no, it wasn't them at all. Totally misunderstanding. This is crazy. That yeah. never happened. Wouldn't it then be more likely that A, you're not going to get shot yourself, and B, <laughs> you might find twenty grand in an That's envelope funny. at some point. Like at why are people point. so fucking yeah. dumb? Like, oh, slow down, Zabe. There's five witnesses that said it didn't happen. I'm like, oh, pff, witnesses. All right. <laughs> so anyway, there's uh, that. Uh, yeah. On a technology front, Apple Glass is apparently going to be a thing. Have you seen it? No, this isn't like Google's uh, glasses. There yes. was the Google Glasses. Yes, really? it no. is. Tell I, me more, because the Google one obviously didn't well, work at all. Here's the question: um, What happened to Google Glass, Charge? Well, you looked like a you looked like a nerd, and it wasn't all that useful. Well, okay, so it just went away. They never refined yeah. it. No, they didn't. It, it it bombed badly, so badly in version one. And a lot of times you might go, well, okay, it's version one. By the time version two comes out, right. it'll be way better. But right. it bombed so badly, and people didn't want to be. There was the stigma, the social stigma well, to the Google Glass. They were, and then, it, yeah, also, because they had a camera think, on your on your frames, and there was actual right. businesses saying, "We will not let you in with that shit on." Right. I mean, who wants? You know, you could be surreptitiously taking photos all the time, and who wants to be subject to that? Nobody. Yeah, but if it's if the camera is right between your eyeballs, <laughs> who's gonna want that? Like to know no, that you could be recording and, everything you say and do. No. Uh, hey, so, baby. Um, listen, baby. I just I need to. T- I I always keep my glasses on during sex. Right? <laughs> you understand, right? Right. So what's the Apple one? I mean, is it, Here, the Apple. You know, if they're Apple Insider. This, they must have advanced the. They must have advanced this thing in the whatever it's been eight years. AppleInsider.com. Prolific leaker John Prosser released a video discussing Apple's long-rumored augmented reality smart glasses. Mm-hmm. And there is a picture of, like, you know, directional maps appearing in the eyeglasses themselves. So yeah. it'll help you navigate to where you're going. Apple Glass is expected to retail for $4.99, but a prescription, would cost, a prescription cost would increase the total to the users and sunglasses may not be available at launch. Wow. I need more than just putting maps onto my glasses. I need this thing to be way cooler than that. And some of the AR stuff that's out there that you can just do with your phone. It's pretty damn cool. If they can gamify it, if they can make it more useful, and I don't have to know, I don't know all of it, what it would mean right now, but maps isn't good enough. Cause I can, I got maps anywhere I need to go. I got a map on my phone. I got a map on my car. I need this to be, Something that's cool that is on is that makes my glasses something I just can't do by looking at my phone. And here's, that's the part that I'm not I'm not sure about yet. Here's a question for you. You got three things. Apple Maps, uh-huh. Google Maps, or Google Navigation, whatever they call it, yep. and Waze. Which one yes. are you punching in if you gotta go somewhere? In if order. I rank care, if I care about if I care about traffic, it's gotta be Waze, because Waze is way better on traffic. All right. So I'd go Waze, then Google, and then Apple to me is a distant third. Yeah. I go you? I go Google first because I don't okay. quite like the Waze 
mm-hmm. uh, the, the the cartoonified part of it. I don't. I'm not really into that. I know it's great though, and I know it's great with the traffic and whatnot. It is. If I'm punching something in for my wife, it's Apple Maps because it's the cleanest in- interface and it's the most simple. But it's also not as up to date or reliable as Google as Google is. So. I'll punch that in that. for her. It's just it's just cleaner. It's easier, and she's because like there's some very non-intuitive things about how you punch around and swipe around in Google navigation. Yes. So there's that. I have All a right. quick story. I have a quick story for you. Um, and then we'll I've wrap been, it. Meaning, meaning to get to for about a month. All right, let's go. There is a <clears throat> there's a vinyl record site where everybody that's into vinyl goes. And that's you. Back. You're a you're and a vinyl I, guy. I'm, I'm now that guy for one year. I've been I've been back into vinyl. And it's called Discogs, D-I-S-C-O-G-S. This is where you go to buy, sell, or just store your catalog of vinyl. So you can see, like, here's here's my vinyl collection all in one place. Here's what it's worth. If I want to buy things, here's all these people that are selling. If I want to sell anything in my collection, here's a place to sell it. It's where all the vinyl nerds go. Okay. And about a month, month and a half ago, um, I, for the first time, for no reason, decided to look at my Discogs inbox, which is normally filled with, hey, there are 36 albums on your wish list that you could buy. And at the very, very bottom of this, from eight, nine months ago, a note from one of your listeners named Brian Frey. And Brian <clears throat> says, hey, I've heard you a bunch of times with Zabe. I've heard you mention a bunch of bands that I think are really cool. And he is a a every other week DJ on a 50 watt radio station. 50 watts. 50 watts. What is he? Is he, is he pumping it with a pedal to keep the uh, station on the air? That's the kind of thing it is. I think it's 50 watts and it's, I don't remember the the part of the greater Washington DC area that it's in, but it's a pretty densely populated area that reaches, he says about 200,000 people. And he says, I think we got similar taste in music. Uh, I got this show. It's every other Tuesday night from 11 p.m. to one in the morning. So it's you know, dead at night, and it's this tiny station, but it's obviously a labor of love. And he sends me his playlist from the past two years when he started the show. And Zabe, it was uncanny. I've got this really quirky taste in music. You and I have touched on this a little bit before. That almost nobody that I've ever met just sort of hits all the same notes. His playlist is these. All of these tiny bands so, from all over the world that nobody knows except me and him. It's your, and it's uncanny. It's your doppelbro. It is. My musical doppelganger is Brian Frey from Washington, D.C., who knows me through you and your podcast and your show in D.C. and started following me on Twitter. And he sees the bands. And he's got this amazing show on this tiny, tiny station that does public service work. So tip of the hat to Brian and you for bringing Brian to me. Super cool, and um, yeah. The most, the most rewarding thing about this podcast, even more than doing radio, is connecting with people in a deep and meaningful way. I should spend a whole episode just reading some of the more powerful emails I've gotten from people about a variety yeah. of things, you know? I had one guy reach out to me saying, hey, I know that you know Ron Thomas, you've had him on, has talked about him being sober for five years. I'd really like to talk to him if you'd mind putting me together with him. I'm like, fuck yeah. yeah. And Ron is right there for him. And other stuff like that. Music. uh, It's amazing. Good people out there that listen, Church. And I thank you for your time tonight, brother. We'll chat soon. Sounds good. Bye-bye, Zay. Okay, so good day. Our topic today is music. That's right. Because my brother and I are now experts in the field. Time now for your favorite part of the podcast. And by favorite, I mean least favorite. Just kidding. COVID talk. All right. All right. Let's get into it. First of all, it is fucking hilarious how everybody is an expert on drugs. This hydroxychloroquine argument is absolute through the roof stupid on so many fronts. It's so funny that so many on the left are just reflexively anti-hydroxychloroquine. It's dangerous. He's crazy. Oh, my God. Trump, I can't believe he's saying he's taking it. They they are so invested 
in hydroxychloroquine not having any beneficial effect whatsoever. And they all, like all these media members, think they're fucking doctors. Joy Behar, that cow-faced pig on on The View, just couldn't believe it that I guess one member of Congress talked about taking the drug and, and having a rebound when he was battling COVID. He, he even said, he look, I can't attribute it directly. It's so stupid. And, you know, seeing people on Twitter, look, here's the thing. I take this stuff. I don't think it fucking does a thing for me. I'm of the mindset that no medicine I take does anything for me. <laughs> I don't seem to notice any difference in any of the medicine that I take. And thankfully right now, I'm not on a whole lot. I don't have a tackle box of pills yet. And I'm going to try to forestall that. But, um, yeah, I was prescribed hydroxychloroquine by a Lyme disease doctor six years ago, probably. And the only thing I had to do was I had to go get an eye test because they said that it had the potential to lead to a detached retina, I believe it or not, and that I was going to have to go every two years to kind of like have the uh, eye doctor look at my retinas to see if they don't snap off. Now, of course, they can always have, you know, the drug can always have other unintended effects and it all depends on everything else. But I guess one of the arguments, first of all, for those on the, on the left that hate Trump, if they really think it's dangerous, they shouldn't be yelling at him, don't take it. They should be rooting him on, right? They should be like, oh, Mr. President, brilliant move. Good job. I'd double the, I'd triple the dosage if they really thought it could kill him. It's amazing. Um, but I don't I don't know. Yeah, I do know it's being prescribed in a number of countries as sort of something that's a frontline treatment uh for those in the early stages of battling COVID. There's no real firm data on exactly how good it is. The, you know, cl- clinical trials are spotty. There was one trial with the VA that was done and it was severely flawed, severely f- flawed from what I read. They used uh, all men, mostly black men. It's not a random sample. The age was 65. It was administered late in the course of their battling the disease. And so the deaths that resulted, uh, the increased mortality apparently was expected in this particular study. But it was thrown together right away like, see, this shit doesn't work. Okay. Uh, apparently, a number of you know frontline healthcare workers are on a combination of hydroxychloroquine and zinc, which in combination is supposed to be helpful as a prophylactic type dose. I don't know if it is. I don't know if it isn't. I just find it fucking hilarious that there's so many drug experts in the media that are so committed to one side on this. Unbelievable. Got an email from a guy who said, and I'll just read it. I'll leave his name out of it. He said, if we don't fight back against this completely unlawful, unconstitutional, and super un-American shit that the government is now doing, they are going to TSA our lives into oblivion. An absolute truth is that government never, ever gives back power. They gladly take and most not only gladly give, but demand that the government take responsibility and ultimately control when things when bad things happen. And the TSA is then what you get forever. I probably botched the way he put that, but basically he's right. Government rarely gives up ground that they have conquered. I mean, why would they? And usually government has to be fought tooth and nail to make them vacate a hill of control in society or in life. This is not necessarily evil per se, it's just the nature of government. Even in a wonderful country like ours, still the best damn country on planet Earth. But anyway, that said, the TSA analogy is a good one because if you think about it, how is the TSA working for everybody? Do you really think, like, these guys are good, they're good, you can't fool them? No, nobody thinks that. Nobody says, hey, is the TSA efficient? Do they really whisk you through security? Are they pleasant in their demeanor with you? No, no. 
Nobody has a good vibe about that. And I'm not even including some of the TSA horror shows about stealing shit and doing other bad stuff and selecting hot women for pat down. I mean, of course, I don't know if that's the case either. They, they might have a female to pat down the females. But, you know, there there are TSA malfeasance stories out there. The bottom line is it's mostly theater. Nobody really thinks it's actually making anybody that much safer. And speaking of TSA, this this email from this guy was spot on because Phil Murphy of New Jersey, the governor, tweeted, COVID has changed everything. After 9-11, new security measures were put into place that were not accust- that we were not accustomed to. Those practices are now part of our routines. The aftermath of COVID-19 will be similar. Social distancing will still be the rule of the days ahead. Oh my fucking God. I'm going to be somebody who says, my new normal is the old fucking normal. My new normal is to remember that I'm going to avoid oppressive government whenever possible, however possible. My new normal is the ordinal, old normal of March 10th, no matter what crazy dumb shit they try to shove down our throats. Dane County, Wisconsin had three new cases of COVID on Tuesday. They had relocked down after the Wisconsin Supreme Court overturned Governor Evers' safer at home edict. Three new cases. I had to read it three times and, and text a couple of buddies going, am I reading this right? Dane County, which has Madison, the state capital, in it, so it's not a small county. Three cases, and they're still locked down. Fucking madness. Oh, by the way, New Jersey changed their death coding, kind of like Colorado, to parse out the deaths with COVID and the deaths due to COVID, and oh, lo and behold, the deaths due to COVID down 25%, give or take. John Ioannidis of Stanford, he has been consistently saying, look, this pandemic is going to be like all pandemics. It's going to go up in a spike and down on the back. This is called FARS Law, F-A-R-R. He wrote this early on. I mean, back in March when it wasn't fashionable. Well, he's got a paper out now that the IFR of COVID-19 is somewhere between 0.02 and 0.4. So the mean of it would be 0.21. It's about twice the flu. It's about twice the flu if you average it. Could be four times the seasonal flu, but whatever. Another point that I think we all have to keep our minds open to, and this would be great if it's the case, it may not be though, is that this spike that happened in March might have been the second wave. That the first wave of this could well have been in December and January when we didn't have the testing, didn't know what this thing was, and we saw this real ramp up in influenza-like illness. This could be the second wave. We'll see. But I don't know. That's the thing. I keep an open mind about this. Not everybody keeps an open mind, though. And, you know, I'm losing some people. I'm losing Lieutenant Colonel Patrick J. Kendall, United States Air Force. He wrote me to say, you know, thank you, all the entertainment, blah, blah, blah. Feel like we're friends. He said, that's why it stinks that I'm writing the rest of this. I just can't take the COVID nonsense anymore, and I'm moving on. Well, let me stop there. Nonsense? I'm open to correction. I'm even open to persuasion. But nonsense, I don't know what you mean by nonsense. What have I said that's nonsense? Is there something factually incorrect? Okay. He said, I'm moving on, as they say. I enjoy you and your content so much that I kept listening, despite the fact that you seem to stray further and further into Breitbart slash Daily Cause level trutherism. Anytime you make an argument in which you want to tie somebody to a specific news source that you think is discrediting and or you say trutherism, you've kind of lost because you're not meeting me on the battleground of facts and logic and evidence. You're just saying, oh, yeah, you're one of those. 
He said, I've been able to avoid the COVID talk in your podcast for the most part, but you caught me on a lunch break jog today. Hashtag Gumbel Bragg. First, you blasted Fauci for changing his opinion on masks while ignoring the fact that the president, who has access to the best expertise in the world, changes his opinions by the hour. Okay. Trump, I think, is a flip of a coin. Idiot, genius. Idiot, political genius. Idiot, genius. You can't deny Trump's political genius. It's the fucking president. He rode into office when nobody gave him a chance. If you want to write that off to a bunch of mouth-breathing redneck idiots in America, you're fine to do that. But if you can't appreciate the political genius that he had figuring out a way to become president, I think you're crazy. But you flip the coin, he's a fucking idiot. And that's one thing that a lot of people don't understand about people who may have voted for Trump but aren't Trump supporters per se. That sometimes a vote for Trump is a blocking vote against something even worse. And that a lot of times when you say, God, I like what Trump's doing here, here, and here, but oh, for fuck's sake, what is he talking about? And you cringe. I don't know if that exists as much on the left. It seems like to me most people who are, you know, left or Democrats, they're all in on everything. They'll never criticize their own. And I'm not saying that I'm unique or or that there's a lot of people like me that will criticize Trump or whatever. Trump's an idiot, and Trump's done a lot of dumb shit in this particular crisis. But his argument about Fauci is just a whataboutism. Yeah, okay, Fauci. But what about Trump? Trump's a moron at times, says dumb shit. I expect that. Fauci is supposedly an expert. Somebody else said, hey, let it go with Fauci. No way in hell anyone of authority was going to tell the general public to wear masks that we did not have. The country was so unprepared. Healthcare supply would have been in worse shape. People in this country stabbed each other over fucking toilet paper. Can you imagine if one of Trump's peeps were on TV in early March telling people they needed masks? Oh, good Lord. Well, I reject that argument because you can't lie to the public. If masks are important, you should say, look, we need to get to a point where the public is wearing masks when they're out, but we just can't spare them right now. So please leave them for the health professionals. You lie. If, if Fauci was lying about masks, you, you can't do that. You torch your credibility when you lie through your teeth. And I also reject this because you couldn't buy the proper masks anyway back in March. The, the hospitals were trying to get them. Countries were trying to get them. Uh, some countries were actually stealing shipments of PPE routed through their country. Just going, yep, we'll take that. So I don't think if Fauci had said, look, we should be wearing masks. Uh, please don't use the N95s. But uh, guess what? If you have something that approximates a mask, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to wear it because of this, this, and this. He could have said that. Okay, so I reject that argument, but it's a it's a what aboutism anyway. It's not really, you know, anything directly at you know, Fauci. By the way, another thing about Fauci. People don't understand. Some people don't understand that there exist in the world sometimes well respected, seemingly nice and very smart frauds. That's right. Well respected, accomplished, nice, and they're. They're frauds. Have you ever met somebody like that in any of your professions? I would bet you probably have. I think Fauci is a fucking whack. I do. Compared to other people in the field and other people that do stuff, I don't think he's the best and the brightest. Not by what I've seen in this. The guy starts with, we don't have to worry. And then he's like, if you're young and healthy, you can go on a cruise. Nobody wear masks. And then I think Fauci's testimony to the Senate saying, "I we can't open schools in the fall. I liken that to Jim Zorn's swinging gate play. Where he knew he was going to run that play one more time because he wanted it to work. He needed it to work. He wants to slow this shit down. He wants to keep it going for reasons that I won't even get into because, God forbid, I'm a truther. But still, Fauci is like, fuck it. 
this thing is starting to go down. All the numbers are going down. Certain states are open. They're doing fine. Oh, what do I do? You know what? I'm going to run Swinging Gate. I'm going to testify and say, we can't go to school in the fall. Four months almost beforehand. No wiggle room of, well, I think we can do it this way. Or, well, I would feel nervous about it, but the societal cost would be too much because how are parents going to work if they have to be home with their kids? What kind of psychological damage does that do to our kids? And on and on and on and on. He said none of that. He just ran swing and gate again. And I think as the months go on here, you're going to look back and you go, yeah, fucking Zabin was right. He was Jim Zorn, and that was his swing and gate. Okay. He then goes on to say, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Patrick Kendall, he says, um, you point to Sweden as some paragon of virtue amid the madness, despite Sweden now owning the lead in deaths per capita on the continent. Well, number one, the continent is one small subsection. Number two, I don't know if that's true. Number three, maybe Sweden has more deaths per capita now. Call me come January 1, because this is not over. They may be front-loading their deaths. In fact, some people have said they've taken the strategy of front-loading their deaths because they want to get over this quicker and they want to get to herd immunity. So those are all things that have to be considered. And by the way, Sweden did not crater their economy. They did not shut their kids in. They did not inflict a lot of other damage. So you can't just judge it on, well, here's one measure, deaths per capita. I think Sweden's done probably the best of anybody, but if you disagree with that, with me on that, that's fine. Make that argument. And then he says, finally, you've singled out Georgia as one of the smart states, apparently unaware that they have repeatedly falsified COVID data to show that things are better than they really are. Oh, that is rich, Lieutenant Colonel. You call me a truther. I've seen stories about Florida's lying. Look at that. They fired this person. Georgia's lying. Texas is full of shit. At the end of the day, where are the bodies? At the end of the day, where are people in Georgia going, oh my God, this is so fucking terrible. We opened up. This is mayhem. We hate this. It's not the case. So I haven't read the link you sent me. I, I guess I could read it. I can assure you of this, Lieutenant Colonel, with all due respect. If there was a genuine scandal of Georgia falsifying their COVID numbers just to look good and that it was statistically significant, oh, the mainstream media would have let us know all about it. It would be the only thing that we have heard. Trust me on that. And don't talk about, well, Georgia's falsifying the data with all these other states are lying through their teeth about the data and fudging things and juking the numbers. Again, ethical skeptic on Twitter. Great follow. Crunches the numbers. Has sussed out how certain states are, quote, juking their stats. A lot of the stuff he puts out, I don't even understand, but it's still, it's good stuff. It's, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's informative. But okay. Anyway, as with anything, said the good lieutenant colonel, It always helps to approach a topic with an open mind, which you abandoned long ago with that Corey COVID take. Well, if in the end, if after two years, we find out that the true IFR, infected fatality rate of this thing was close to 0.1, then I would have been right. Corey COVID would have been just like any other coronavirus shooting guard. It's how we decided to play him that would have been the difference. Sending wave after wave of our best player, fouling them out of the game, getting increasingly desperate with our tactics instead of just letting Corey COVID make his shots and worry about winning the larger game of, hey, do we still have an economy? How many people are jobless? And oh, by the way, did we erode trust in our public institutions, the police, local governments by trampling on constitutional rights and common sense like jack-booted thugs. That's the whole ballgame. Corey Covid's just one guy. He's just one player. He's not the last virus we're going to see either. It's how smart we are in playing them that matters. And that will be it for me today.
Thank you so much for listening. And if you have to check out, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Patrick Kendall did say to me, best of luck to you, Miss to you and Mrs. Zabin and your two daughters, hoping that you get that arthritis under control so you can prove your golf score and that your beloved Redskins get their act together one of these years. Take care. That was very civil, Patrick, and I appreciate that. And you are free to leave, sir. Lieutenant Colonel, dismissed on your way, my friend. And if you do come back, I don't think he's going anywhere. If you do come back, you're always welcome. And I will meet you on the battlefield of ideas at any time for a free and fair exchange. Thanks for listening. Have a great Wednesday, folks, and we will see you next time. Whoa.